The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Speaking to his Lord, and, and we're asking, who, who is having this conversation? Now, this is a psalm that we know because of the New Testament about Jesus. David is listening in. David is speaking about what God the Father is speaking to God the Son. And he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, we do live in an era where everything is uh, sort of, we try to be loving and kind, and that is good. We live in an era also, though, that outside of our bubble, there is quite a bit of strife going on in the world. There are enemies. You cannot turn on the news and read through one column without reading about some war somewhere. Whether it's, uh, whether it's in Palestine and Israel, whether it's in Iraq or Afghanistan, or whether it's in inner city Baltimore or Chicago. There are wars that are going on and there is constant turmoil. The thing that I love about where this psalm starts out is that Jesus is the king and his enemies are the footstool. Now, right hand was a, a, a thing that meant equality, that you're coming alongside to lead. Whoever was at the right hand of the king or the right hand of the father, they were considered to be equal authority with the father. And this is where Jesus was placed. Some of us need to see Jesus as a king. Depending on which church background you came up in, you may see Jesus as an angry judge. You may see Jesus as a loving and kind savior. You may see God as just a father figure. But at some point, you have to acknowledge that Jesus is king of everything. In Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, the author wants to point this out. It says, long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. If you want to see God when you see Jesus' face, you are looking at God himself in the flesh. Jesus was brought low to pay for our sins and then raised up above the angels, the author of Hebrews goes on to say. But what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with us that, that Jesus is God and that he makes his, his enemies a footstool? I don't know about you, but um, enemies seem to come and go throughout my life. Some enemies are my, sometimes I am my own enemy. You know those songs, I am my own worst enemy. Sounds like a Paula Abdul hit from the 80s. Um, and, and then we've also got enemies from without. Some of us have the coworkers that are constantly tearing away at us. They're just gnawing at us. Some of us have enemies within our home or within our families. We all made it through the Christmas season, and at least all of you are here and in, in mostly 90% shape uh, because presumably you didn't have any family feuds. But family feuds happen because sometimes enemies come from within. This idea that Jesus is a king that makes his enemies a footstool is very old school. Uh, I love my small group. I think I've got the best small group in, in the chapel because I learn a lot about parenting. I, in my small group, we've got people who are ahead of the curve of me on parenting. They've got kids that are adults, and they've got some kids, maybe some teenagers sprinkled in there. But, but I love it because there's this sense of old schoolness that I didn't really grow up with. Um, I had a single mom growing up, so for me it was like my mom had to work two or three jobs most of my young life. And when I got in trouble, it was like, you're grounded for life, or go to your room and think about it, because we were in California. So we do in California. We eat organic food, and we tell kids to think about it. And then I moved to Florida, and it was a revelation. 
because I, I learned about these different parenting tactics. Um, like when you guys read spoil the rod, spare the rod, spoil the child, you actually mean it. And you actually have rods. And I mean, I just think this is brilliant. So I'm in my small group from time to time. And here's my favorite. I'm not going to tell you who says this, um, but if you know who it is, just look over at them awkwardly. One of the people from my small group constantly brings up this thing. I say, how do you get your kids in line? How do you get them to be so respectful? And it's a simple, beautiful line. I just gave them fistophobia. And I love that. I, I went home the first night I heard fistophobia. And I was driving all the way home thinking, I'm going to give my kids fistophobia. And then I thought, well, if I give my kids fistophobia, then I can't give them cell phones because they may figure out how to call CPS. So I'm trying to weigh this out, like, how do I discipline my kids? Because I want respectful kids. I want kids who not only listen and love me, but kids who say, no, when dad says something, he means it. I don't want to be the parent that says, I've said this three times. Or I don't want to be the parent that says, I'm going to count to three, and when I get to three, I have to linger it out because I'm too lazy to give them the fistophobia. I don't want to be that parent. I want to be the parent that says, I'm going to count to one, and you're going to be done. And then they go. So if you have tips, please text in questions or answers because this is me asking you the question. If you know how to get kids to obey on the first time, please tell me. But this, this idea of Jesus, he's, God says he's going to make his enemies a footstool, and he did. In, in this day and age, in the, the time that this was written, when a kingdom would go and conquer nations, the king would literally put his feet on the throats of the kings as a sign of submission. I mean, that's pretty gnarly. Uh, you know you've won when your foot is on the throat of someone else. Uh, I, when I was in high school, I used to get in fights from time to time. In, in, in high school, when people get in fights, you always, even if you got your butt whooped, you kind of tried to drum up like maybe you won that fight. You tried to drum up like, yeah, maybe like, I had this good shot and that good shot. But if you leave a fight and the dude's foot is on your throat or head, you're not like, dude, I think I had you. You're not pulling that line out there. You're like, I lost. I was on the ground. It was over. Jesus will make all of his enemies a footstool. So it's good to, A, not be an enemy of the true king, the king who is at the right hand of God, the king who is executing the Father's will. And in case you don't understand how the Trinity works, um, nobody does, so don't worry. But there's the Father, and there's the Son, and there's the Spirit. There are three persons, one being. The Father is invisible in a spirit. When the Father moves, it's called his word. The will of the Father is the Son. So before Jesus was born, he existed in heaven in the plurality of the Godhead. I know this gets mind-boggling and confusing. The Spirit is the constant connection and permeation of God through all things and around all things. Every time God acts, it's through the Son. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. There are prophecies after prophecy of Jesus reigning and ruling. From the very first book of the Bible, when the serpent tricked Adam and Eve, God told Adam and Eve, I'm sending through you an offspring, and he will rule, and he will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will rule. And this is all hearkening to this point where the enemies of God will become a footstool. I love the idea that God is fighting on my behalf. I, I don't know about you guys, but it makes it so that I just don't have very much that I'm afraid of in my life. Um, my wife and I had a conversation this week um, because we were talking with the kids, my, my boys, about fight or flight. I, I said, look, when something dangerous happens, when there's an emergency, um, there's a fight or flight 
mechanism that activates in you because your body produces adrenaline and certain people are wired different ways. And, and they were asking this because we were down at, we went down to Glazer Museum and we were playing in this park and some lady fell down and was having a seizure and bleeding everywhere. And people said, ah, lady's having a seizure. And there were a bunch of people standing around, but I'm an I'm a engager, I'm a fighter. So I heard it and I ran over like a hero. And then I go there and I do this because my wife thinks it's sexy. But anyway, um, uh, so I get down, I'm helping her. And then I realize, oh man, she's bleeding a lot. And I'm getting her on her side and my kids just come right up. Savannah's there like, oh, what's her name? And I'm like, that's a good question. Somebody find out her name. You know, we had already called 911. And, um, and then Jackson and Silas, they're getting close. I'm like, back up, back up. So then after this whole commotion is over, after I wash my hands thoroughly, um, they said, Daddy, why, why did you run to the lady? And I said, well, well, buddy, why not? We're called to help people and serve people and love people and protect people. And he said, but nobody else went. I said, yeah, but because sometimes people are afraid of certain things because the lady was bleeding all over the ground, and what if she had some disease that would kill them? And they said, well, weren't you afraid of a disease? And I look over to Silas and I say, Silas, do you think Daddy's afraid to die? And he said, no, I think Daddy wants to die. I said, yes, you are correct. I've raised you well. I may not get fistophobia, but I get death well in my family, okay? Um, and and no, nobody wanted to touch her. And they said, well, well, Daddy, why aren't you afraid of dying? And I said, buddy, I got a king who loves me now and is protecting me for as long as he wants me here. And the day that he no longer wants me here, my days are done. And that's true for every single person. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter if you slay your resolutions this year. Maybe your resolution this year is to eat that dirty lettuce called kale and eat oats and grilled chicken and run 5K every day. It doesn't matter. Death comes for us all. But if we serve the king, those things around us that we feel threatened by will become less of a fear topic for us. My wife thinks that it's only because I'm large that I'm not afraid. And I tell her, I say, babe, you're just saying that because I am large. But if I were, five, if I were a little guy, like five foot eight or nine, then, then I, still, I still wouldn't be afraid. Because it's not about my size. It's about the fact that the God of the universe has won every battle that I need to be in. And that he is the king of which I am in the army. His enemies are under his feet. So I don't need to fret about them coming out from under his heel. His heel is stronger than their will. In the day that I'm called to go home is the day I'm called to go home. I can't change anything about that. Jesus is that king. And here's what happens when you see the true king, the king that protects you, the king that is around you, the king that is for you. If you see this king, you will be one of his people. And in verse 3 it says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. Your people will volunteer. Your people will serve. If Jesus is your king, you will have a desire to follow him. Not only that, you will have a desire to serve him. I, I, love, um, I love football. You guys know this. I'm talking about football a lot because it's the playoffs. And, um, and even this morning, I've already been offended by two of you, uh, three of you, for talking about the Patriots and how superior they are. We all know that the Patriots are the evil team. Um, and they need Jesus. But one, one of the amazing things that I, I have to admit um, I love, and whether you're a football person or not, you, you'll appreciate this. The Patriots have this player who's a freak of nature. His name is Rob Gronkowski. And um, the reason that I think he's a freak of nature is because I've read his stats. Rob Gronkowski is uh, uh, my height, 
but he's like fusing two of me together and removing all of my body fat and giving me the speed of Usain Bolt and the strength of the Hulk. And then the guy can catch a football. And it's one of the most amazing things for me, just as a fan of the sport, to watch this huge man first outrun little guys, and then when he catches the ball, nobody can tackle him. He's just large. I mean, I don't really, actually, I do have a good example. At the end of this service, there's a guy in the back right here with a beard. Go stand next to that guy. If Rob Gronkowski were here, he's that guy's size, but he's like this guy's speed, okay? Just small speed, big size. And whenever Rob gets the ball, it's like you watch men, a man among little boys, and the little football players are just falling away. It's basically like when I play football with all of my nine-year-old son's friends, okay? When I play football or soccer with them, I'm here, they're there. If I want to win, I just thunder kick them and take the ball down, okay? This is what it's like with Christ. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is the big person. All we have to do is get in line behind him and say, man, I'm with you. Wherever you go, I go. Whatever you do, I do. I think there's a 90s worship song that sounds like that. And, and all we do is follow in his wake because the enemies are already conquered. But it says that we, his people, will offer ourselves freely. Some of us offer ourselves begrudgingly to Jesus. Some of us wake up on Sunday morning and we think, ah, I should go to church. It's the right thing to do. We're not freely saying, man, I can't wait to get there. Some of us are here because we've had a bad week, and we think God may be smiting us. In God's economy, it's less about earning points with God, and it's, it's more about do you see him as your king, and does that king melt your heart to want to follow him? I'm fascinated by leadership. I, I read leadership books often. I listen to leadership podcasts, and, and one of the things that I love about leadership is that leaders come in all different shapes and sizes, and some leaders you may not like, some leaders you may like. Um, what, it doesn't matter to me whether you like um, Obama or Trump. They both have their followers who are passionate people. Or, or maybe if you look at sports, there's the leaders on each of the team. Tom Brady is the leader of the evil Legion of Doom. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is the leader of the saintly Steelers. The Buccaneers, who's the leader of the Buccaneers? The Buccaneers have no leader, which is why they lose. I know, I'm, I'm seriously not trying to win any points. Like nobody that's from Tampa is going to come to Jesus at the chapel. Um, it's okay, it's, God will override my stupidity. Um, but when you have a leader that you can follow, you'll lay down your life for them. When you have a leader that's worthy of following, you'll go the extra mile for them. And this is true in all areas of life, from the home to the workplace to churches to communities. People follow good leaders. And by good leaders, I don't mean leaders who are always right, but I, I want to really emphasize that I think the best leaders are leaders who are always authentic and real. I think people would rather follow a, a real leader, one who is always real, than one who is just always right. Because the ones who are always right sometimes have an air of arrogance about them. Jesus is always real and always right, so that's a twofer. But my question is, why don't people offer themselves freely to Jesus? And then it says, on the day of his power in holy garments. There's uh, this idea now in church uh, culture, and I'm in these like message boards and pastors hang out. For those of you who don't know, most pastors are just nerdy people, and um, some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. And when we get together, we all complain about the same things, and we all talk about the same things. Um, constantly, as pastors, we are 
saying, uh, what are you doing for your church? How, are you getting your church to grow? If you go on my Facebook timeline, it's like I get messages all the time. Church growth this, church growth that. And then when the pastors get together, the first thing we ask each other, it's, it's almost like a really sad thing where we say, hey, what church are you a pastor of? I'm the pastor of such and such. And the very next question with every pastor is, how big is your church? It's the weirdest thing. It's like very Donald Trumpian. Anyway, um, that was only for you news people out there. But it's this constant comparison. It's this constant, how big is your church? How big is your church? And whoever has the bigger church, they're like the bigger head honcho in whatever the group of pastors is. But I, I recently came um, to a better realization. I was um, putting up this projector this week. I was on a lift that high up there, and I was terrified. Um, Jared was shaking the lift. Gary was in the lift laughing wi- at me because I'm like gripping the steel for my life. Because if I fall from there, it's not death. It's just maimed. That's my worst fear. Maiming, not death, is my worst fear. Um, but as we were putting up the projector, I was hanging out with our, another tech guy, Andy, and he was saying he does church consulting all over the area from like Lakeland to Wesley Chapel. He goes, man, it was the craziest thing. I was having this conversation uh, with the pastor in Lakeland, and he knows you. I'm like, I don't know anybody from Lakeland. He said, no, no, he doesn't know you. He knows about you. He said, hey, you're from Fishhawk. And Andy said, yeah. He said, do you know that tall pastor in Fishhawk? And he said, well, uh, which one? And the Lakeland pastor said, there's a pastor in Fishhawk who talks about his own sin in the pulpit. And Andy said, oh yeah, I know that guy. I said, was it me, Andy? Was it me? <laughs> and he said, it was you, you idiot. <laughs> and I thought, that's so cool that my sin nature has made it all the way to Lakeland. And then another pastor is wondering why I talk about it. And, and that pastor was talking about it as a negative, but I posted on Facebook this week that I'm counting that as a win for me. Because, because it's not about me being amazing. It's about me doing what Jesus has called me to do. And it's about you calling, doing what Jesus calls you to do. And it's about you doing it freely. And it's about you not being constrained. I love that word in here, that we will offer ourselves freely. Now, there's this sort of double entendre that I feel in that, in that I will freely give to God whatever he asks of me. But because of Galatians 5, I do so with a complete freedom that I think scares religious people. Because there's a freedom in Christ. Said, the Bible says that Christ came to set us free, and we are free indeed. I am free to blow it, and God will still love me. I am free to do uh, amazing moral purity, and God will still love me because it is not about me. It's not up to me. It's about him, and it's up to him. And this is where we get things wrong, and this is why I will forever, I'm, I'm almost ready to change my Twitter handle to the tall pastor who sins. Because I, I want it to be about him, and I want to walk in the freedom where it doesn't phase me when other people throw rocks of judgment at me. We all know the story of Jesus and the adulteress, where she's down there, the religious people are going to throw rocks at her, and Jesus says, whoever doesn't sin, throw the first stone. And we all know that we would not throw the stone. Yet so often we throw the stones because we don't have Jesus there standing with the sinner. So this leads us to the state of the church today, because today is the first week of January, and I like to just do updates on the state of the global church. Things are changing in the church, and really, in particular, into how people are involved in church. And that's, in this verse, I just kept thinking about this. If people see the king, they will give themselves freely to the king. So churches, uh, for, the mo- for the large part, are on decline. I, th- I think that's interesting. Um, 
I think it's interesting that churches primarily are just shifting members. We call it sheep stealing in pastor world. Um, those of you who are my close friends, you know that I'm not a huge fan of sheep stealing. Instead of going to other churches and saying, hey, come to our church, we're cooler and better, um, I say, no, no, go to the bars and say, come to our place, we're cooler and better than the bar. You know, that's, that's a better thing. And that may not necessarily be true because Steinenbein has a high standard. Um, but... But what I want us to do is to understand that while most churches are shrinking, while the average size of a church in America is less than 80 people, while church giving is on the decline over the last 10 years, all, all of those things that are moving this way, um, I love being the pastor at this chapel because I've seen people give more consistently and radically than at any church I've ever been at in 20 years of ministry at massive mega churches. To, to medium-sized churches, I've never seen a group of people who, when called upon, step up and will give and will serve. Um, with the exception of kids' ministry, uh, they're always thin back there because those kids, they're all sinful people because at the chapel, we only lead sinful parents to Jesus. So it's a, it's a math equation here. So if you want to serve back there, good. We need you back there, but only if you like children. If you have a fistophobia skills, don't go back there, okay? I'm staying here. We'll let God work that out of you. And then when you have love-phobia, no, no, uh, hate-phobia, then you go back there. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we are going against the grain where we have people who were burnt out on church, people who were far from God coming here. We have people who were exhausted of the regular church routine coming here. We have radically, you guys are radically generous people. But I I did think this one thing. I thought, do the people at the chapel offer themselves freely in the power of Jesus in holy garments? And what does that look like for us? Um, As a pastor, I've always tried to see things from a different perspective. If you go to any church, we're all going to have mission statements. We exist to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, We have a thing like we're going to win, build, send, or even we have it. We've got corny... uh, mnemonic devices. We're going to gather, grow, give, and go, whatever those things are. There's signs everywhere over the chapel. I'm really, really bad at that stuff. I, I'm really bad at it because it just sounds so church hokey. And church hokey things, they make me squirm a little bit. So I asked myself this year, okay, I want to communicate something to the chapel, our mission. And I want it to be so simple that the absolutely the slowest thinking human on the planet could remember it. So first, I'm going to give you the long version of the chapel's mission for 2018. Are you guys ready for the long version? Okay, this is a lo- if you can memorize this, I'm going to give you an A plus for memory. The long version is fill every street with the love of Jesus. That's the long version. Now, for those of you who haven't read a book since you graduated college, the short version is just this. Fill every street. That's it. Can you guys remember those three words? Okay, I'm going to quiz you. What are the three words? I'm not going to repeat it. Okay, you thought it was a trick question. Um, and the only reason I know that is because some of you were over-enunciating because you were nervous. You were like, fill every street. Uh, and it's, I'm not saying this is a metaphorical movement. Like, hey, we're going to just go fill every street. I'm saying that for 2018... I want us, as a chapel family, to be so captivated by the king that we're willing to say, I am going to, this year, 
fill streets with the love of Jesus. Now, because I'm a pastor, I couldn't get away from mnemonic devices. So you're going to say, how do we fill streets? There's three ways I want you to fill streets. First is I want you to be present on every street that you live on and work on. Then I want you to pray on every street that you live on and work on. And the last one, it's really easy for some of you because I follow you on Instagram. I want you to party on every street that you work or live on, which means I want you to throw parties. I don't care what kind of parties. If you don't know how to throw a party, go look in the Bible for examples of parties. There are some parties where they just bake bread and they eat bread for days. Those are for you guys who don't have resolutions or for you who are gluten consumers. Make it have a bread party. Have a cookie party. If you are the person of the more sinful persuasion, John chapter 2, Jesus threw the biggest wine rager in the history of the Bible. Have a wine party unless you struggle with alcoholism. Then do not. If you don't know, if you, if you want a different kind of party, they've got, if you're a nerdy person, if you're, maybe you're a band kid at the high school, throw a band party. Get out your clarinets or whatever they call those things and say, hey, we're going to get together and jam. We're going to eat bread and drink non-alcoholic wine. If you have zero idea how to throw a party, you're like, I've never thrown a party. I wouldn't even know where to start. How do I throw a party on my street? It's super easy. Um, the chapel, we have access because of, of a storage unit with some chapel family member stuff. We have access to a grill and a jumpy house. All you have to bring is non-alcoholic wine. And you say, hey, neighbors, we're just going to hang out today and play in the jumpy house. And you don't have to have kids, by the way, to play in a jumpy house. This is a big jumpy house. There's a jumpy house that me, Case, and Rob Gronkowski could all play in simultaneously. I want us this year, but only if we are doing it for the king to fill every street, to just say, I'm going to walk around my block, and I'm actually going to talk to my neighbors. I'm actually going to pray for people that I know by name. I'm going to say, God, I pray for this family, for this couple, for these kids uh, this, uh, this week. I'm sure that I have neighbors praying for my kids because I, my kids were playing at the park and, um, and there was an adult there. I had to teach my son how not to talk back to adults um, because my son and all of his friends came home and they said, uh, Ryan, 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 Mr. Ryan, you won't believe what somebody called your son Jackson. And I'm like, what did they call him? They called him a smart B-U-T but not B-U-T. I'm like, I think you mean B-U-T-T and I get what you mean. Jackson, what did you do? Well, Daddy, I was jumping from this thing to the slide, and this lady said, what if my kid was down there and you jumped on him? And I told the lady, if your kid was there, I wouldn't jump, obviously. So she called him that. Now, if he were me, he would have said something like, well, at least I'm not a dumb B-U-T-T, but he didn't. (laughs) Instead, he came home worried that he was in trouble um, because in our neighborhood, we tattle on each other on Facebook. Um... So he wanted to tell me before I read it on Facebook. But I said, you know what, buddy? We're going to have a talk about talking back to adults. It's not how you talk to any adult, e- even, if, even if they are being silly. I don't want you to do those quippy remarks that crush people's souls until your daddy's age and you have a job called pastor. Um, but after that, you're good to go. It, 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 in, the of, in the midst of him navigating this, this thing where somebody's calling him a name, where he comes to dad, says, daddy, did, was I wrong? I say, yeah, you were wrong, but I'd rather you be smart than dumb, so we're good there. Um, but just adults need respect, and I was trying to do this thing. That, that word fistophobia is always coming to my head. I'm like, he needs some fistophobia, but I can't beat him in public because it's friends. Um, but in the midst of all that, it was interesting to me because now, the following day, he is like 
all about listening. He's all about asking me, Daddy, is, is this okay to say? Daddy, can I do this? Daddy, next time an adult says this, can I say that? And now he's trying to navigate the nuances of, of how to follow Dad's order, to follow Dad's lead. And it's been fun because um, anytime a, something crazy happens, like when the, the epileptic lady hit her head, uh, or when the kids come home, or when they see me doing something crazy, all of the kids in my son's little circle, they just bombard me with questions. How do you do this? How do you do that? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And I love it. That's my bread and butter of life. I'd rather just teach my kids and the neighbor kids all, all year than teach you guys, because they listen and they do things. Um, Sort of laugh, it's true. Because here's, here's what I'm saying. When, when these kids, when they go out, they're going to that park and they're like the kindest humans now, all of a sudden. All the kids who used to have mouths like sailors, now they're like, uh, they, they don't say any bad things at all. I've got kids who don't even believe in Jesus. They're part of another religion, actually, and they won't even say, oh my God, because it's the Lord's name in vain. And, and they're not part of Christianity. I love that. So my fear is that we would be like other faith communities where I would say the mission is to fill every street, but you're not compelled enough by the king to actually go do it. My fear is that we come here to hear, to learn, to be challenged, but we don't go out and change our world. Motivation is a very addictive thing. It's easy to motivate people. Um, When I want to motivate people, I get excited and I said, we're going to go and do this. You get body motion. You get your body language going. And if you watch any sport or any war thing, there's always this connection of energy level, body language, vocal projection, and it gets people going. But motivation only lasts so long. I need us in the non-hyped up times to slow our hearts and say, who is the king that I'm looking at? Because if you are not compelled to go out and serve him and love him and before him, then you may not be staring at the right king. You may be using Jesus to feel better about yourself. You may be coming to church just for some fire insurance because you're not sure if hell is real or not and you don't want to end up on the wrong side of eternity. We often don't come to God seeing him as the king who has defeated every enemy that can stand against us. The king who commands allegiance, not only by his verbal saying of come follow, but by the fact that he has modeled for us how we can live the the most efficient life that is wired into God's creation. We, We get caught up in the daily things of life and it becomes difficult, which is why I wanted to put away the church things. Because win, build, send or save, raise up, or disciple, whatever, blah, 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 gather, grow, go, the things we use, they just get caught up in church jargon. But my question for you is, in this year, in 2018, can we, and I know we can, fill every street that we live on? If I put up a map on that chalkboard, would you be able to write a star on the streets that you walk on and pray for on a weekly basis? I know that like 35% of you just got Fitbits, that's actually used them this year, but for Jesus. Let's actually hit the streets and be kind to our neighbors. Let's not hide in our backyard lanai's. And I know right now it's difficult. I'm not asking you to walk today because I understand that most of you are Floridians and you have no antifreeze in your blood. 
But for those of you who can brave it in short sleeves, go for a walk. For those of you who are the extroverted hospitality just gurus of life, plan a sweet party. And the agenda is not to get them here. The agenda is, is not to get them in God's club. The agenda is for you to love your neighbors. That's the agenda. And you don't just invite people that are like you. Invite people that are different from you. Invite people that you would never invite before. At the Band of Brothers, we were talking this week about the type of people we associate with. And we were talking about, you know, what, what would it be like if we brought this type of person to church? And in church gatherings, we always use the most extreme things. Well, what if we brought a murderer to church? I would love it if we had a murderer here, like a reformed murderer, um, not like an active one. Um, I mean, I guess an active one, too, wouldn't be bad because there's police officers and Floridians, so we're safe. Uh, but but I, w- I would love it if we did. I, I love it that we have people regularly that come here. Um, and you, this may sound weird. I love it that we have people coming here who are um, having sex outside of marriage, who are in homosexual relationships, who are um, working through drug addictions, who are working through pornography addictions. I love it that we have messy people that feel like they can come here. Because I will still say as a pastor, man, stop having sex until you're married. I think that marriage is best and created by God to be between man and woman. I don't think marriage is between a man and a man or a woman. I do believe that pornography is bad. You shouldn't do this. I do believe that drug addiction, leaning on a substance to alleviate internal pain, is only a temporary solution for something that needs an eternal fix. I believe all those things, but I'm, I'm willing and ready and here to walk with you. And I hope that you are ready and willing to walk with those in your neighborhood. Because things get messy quick when you hang out with people who are sinners. And if you haven't done it for a while, we can trade jobs because I hang out with you every Sunday. And you hang out with me. Jesus came as the king who defeats enemies. And he calls his people to follow. And to follow him on the day of his power in holy garments. Now, the only way we get holy garments is if we are washed in Jesus, covered by Jesus. There's an interesting part of, of this uh, verse that we don't get to talk about, but there's a guy mentioned here in the order of Melchizedek. This is a mysterious character. He comes into the Bible in Genesis 14 and then vanishes. We don't hear anything else about him. He comes in, Abraham gives him a tenth of all of his stuff, and then Melchizedek leaves. It says in the book of Hebrews that Melchizedek has no genealogy, no mother or father to speak of, most commentators uh, tend to believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate, pre-before Jesus was in the meat version of Jesus. Jesus came to appear to Abraham, was worshipped by Abraham, given gifts by Abraham, and then he vanished. But he is the, the king of peace. He is the king of Salem, the Bible refers to him as, the king of Shalom. And this is the last thing that I need us to understand. Um, in between where Jesus is Melchizedek, and he is going to come, and he's going to judge the nations, and he's going to fill the nation with corpses. For some of you are thinking, wait, what does that mean? It means that literally people who choose to follow sin end up dead. Dead in this life, dead for eternity, dead. Uh, Dead apart from God, eternal torment. There are varying views. I believe that there is an eternal uh, death that just continues forth. And it's not that those people don't have an opportunity. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If you work for sin, and I don't mean sin like do's and don'ts. I mean sin like if you live for something that is non-God, the paycheck you get is eternal death. 
But the free gift of God, this is the very next part of Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life. So you can either work for sin and die, you can work for non-God things and die forever, or you can say, God, I want your gift. And when Jesus comes to judge, he is judging, he is parsing out those who say, I wanted to work for myself, I wanted to work for non-God things, and then those who say, I, I wanted the free gift. This is the judgment. It's the scales. And it's, it's not if you're good enough, it's not if you're smart enough, it's not if you understood enough, it's if you said, God, I need the gift, I want the gift, please, please give me the gift. Then you will be with the king in verse 7, drinking from the brook by the way. Drinking from the brook just means you're refreshed. I've, uh, I've been so enamored by peace lately. My, my kids know that I'm addicted to peace right now. They'll say to each other, leave daddy alone. He just wants some peace. And I love that I've trained them to do that. Um, but I, for me, I, I'm, I go to the beach. Not right now, obviously. Um, but generally, I'll go to the beach and I'll try to go uh, in the middle of the day so no one is there. And I'll sit on a chair. I've got beach chairs in my trunk permanently. I've got sand in my trunk permanently. And I'll just sit on the beach and just relax. And, and this is all I'm asking for us this year. To fill every street and then live life trusting that God is in control. If I didn't believe God was in control, I would be a basket case. Because there are so many marriages in turmoil. There are so many kids who have gone wayward. There are so many people that are having cancer or this test or that test, and I'm praying for all of them. The only reason that I don't unravel is because God is in control. God has already won the end game. So I can love people, fill every street with God's love, and then I can just sit on the beach and say, God, you've got this. I don't have to worry about how many people come to Christ because God's got it. I've got to worry about how many people I'm loving because that's what he's called me to be. I pray that this would be our mission this year, that we would see the king as he is, conquering all, making his enemies a footstool, and that we would follow in his wake, filling every street with the love of Jesus through being present, partying hard, and praying. You can change up the order. If you're a new convert, party hard, be present, and then pray for forgiveness. If you're an old convert, pray that you're awesome. Party that's not fun. If you grew up in the church, you don't know how to throw fun parties. And then just be present and talk to people. This is what God is calling us to do this year. And I think if we do this, we'll continue to see something that is unique. We'll continue to see a church that gives generously, serves radically, and begins to change our community in more and more ways. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, um, I would love to see people live like family and serve on our streets and, and live and fulfill our call to be missionaries to our neighbors. Lord, I know that it's easy to think about it. It's easy to hear about it. It's hard to do it. It's hard to execute. So I pray that those who are wondering, those who are not knowing how to pursue how to fill every street, that they would ask questions, that they would get together with their groups, their small groups, their friends, and say, how can we throw a party for Jesus on our street? And God, I pray that at the end of 2018, we'll be able to put up a map and start marking these streets out, that we'll be able to say we have covered 
Fishhawk, that we have covered our communities in Riverview and Brandon and Valrico, that we have covered the rural areas of Lithia with prayer, with our presence, with parties, and with the love of you, our Savior. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.